Well, let's stay standing and let's take our Bibles out. And we're going to turn this morning to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, we're continuing our journey through this amazing book of Romans. I trust being blessed. I know I am as I go through and prepare, hopefully, prayerfully, you are being blessed uh, from the result of those, that study and God's grace. Well, let's read, beginning in verse 9, we'll, we'll begin and we'll read down through the end of the chapter, particularly this morning we'll be looking at verses 13 through 21, but we'll begin reading in verse 9. Let's give heed to this, because this is the word of the Almighty living God to us this morning. Beginning in verse 9, he says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this word. We pray that as we Uh, Look to it for instruction and correction and doctrine and encouragement. Uh, Lord, we pray that you, by your Spirit, would grant those things to us. We ask, Lord, that you would be with the one who preaches and be with us who hear, that we may truly hear uh, what your Spirit has for us in these words today. We ask this in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Last week, when we looked at the previous passage, we, we concluded actually where we began this week with one of the greatest, if not the greatest truth taught in the Scriptures. It's right there in verse 13, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That truth, that salvation Forgiveness of sin, rescue from the curse of sin, adoption into the family of God and inclusion into the kingdom of God, an inheritance in heaven that is 
kept for you and God's keeping you for that inheritance. All of these things and and many, many more. Every spiritual blessing, as Paul says back in Ephesians, they are available to and come to those, come to all of those and only to those who, as Paul says here, who call on the name of the Lord. Salvation, Paul says, is open, is available to anyone, to everyone, whoever will call upon Christ, believing in Him, trusting in Him, calling out to Him for mercy and for grace and for salvation. Paul says they will receive it. And Paul has been teaching us all along that our our justification our right standing with God is specifically and exclusively through faith, through believing in Christ, through calling upon Him. Not based on any works that we might do, however great we may think they are, however many we may think they are. Those have nothing to do with it. It is based on faith that is grounded in the work of Christ. Our salvation is received by faith alone. And this is true no matter who you are. In the context in which Paul is writing here in in Romans chapters 9 and 10 and 11, he's specifically thinking here that it doesn't make any difference whether you are a Jew or whether you are a Gentile, a non-Jew. That doesn't matter at all. Whoever you are, it is the one who calls on the name of the Lord who will be saved. And in this concluding section here of Romans chapter 10, Paul takes up the question, the vital question, of of the larger steps that, that are necessary for one to get to that point of calling upon the name of the Lord. Now we know that God shows mercy to whom he wants to show mercy. We've seen that in chapter 9. That that he will rescue whom he desires to rescue. But remember also that God works through means. He works through means, and the means that he works through to save a person are what Paul is addressing here at at least the beginning of this chapter. It addresses some of those means. Because people, then and now, do not just wake up one morning suddenly aware of their spiritual condition, and, and do not just spontaneously know to call on Christ. Paul's going to discuss how that all happens. And as he does, he is going to again see how that fits with this whole overarching question in these chapters here of, of why the Jews have rejected that. Why his own kinsmen have rejected that. That that they have, on the whole, not done that. They have not reached out. They have not called upon Christ. They have not believed the gospel. That's what we want to look at this morning. And, And we're going to look at four different things. The first of those are the requirements that Paul lays out. What must happen if someone is to call upon the name of the Lord? And Paul's going to start there and he's going to give us a a list. He's going to give us four questions, four uh, rhetorical questions. 
And, and, and really it's the same regardless of whether a person, the person in mind is a Jew or a Gentile. And we've seen that throughout the book, right? That, that though Paul is focused on the Jews here and upon the, the, the mystery and the, the implications of their rejection of the gospel, that Paul has been talking all along about how both the Jews and the Gentiles come to know God. We've seen also that the Jews and the Gentiles are all sinful. They are all condemned. That was back in chapter 3 and verse 9. In chapter 3, a little later on in that chapter, we learned that both Jews and Gentiles, if they are justified, they are justified by faith alone. And that God does that, that God justifies Jews and he justifies Gentiles both through the gospel. In fact, Paul opened the book with that grand um, statement that the gospel is the power of God into salvation for all who believe, for the Jews and for the Gentiles. So it's the same regardless of who you are, but Paul asks now this series of questions, uh, rhetorical questions, of course. The answers are obvious. Questions that concern the actions that lead ultimately to the salvation of people. Now, as he asks this little question, we saw back in Romans 8 the golden chain of salvation. And here's a little bit of a chain as well. But Paul seems to work backwards in this chain. Since his words, the first question that he asks, arises from the statements in verse 12, or the statement in verse 13, rather, that that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, he starts with that idea of calling. And the calling here is the calling out of the person upon Christ, not the calling of God on a person, as we've seen in other passages here in Romans. We should take note of whom he is speaking in these questions, though. Notice that as he asks these questions in chapter 10, verse 13, Verse 14, rather, he says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? It's just they, not specifying Jew or Gentile. So this this fits for both. Which I say is part of the point because verse 13 said, Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. So his first question there in verse 14 is this. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? They have to call. Verse 13 says, whoever calls will be saved. Now in verse 14 he says, but how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And the obvious answer to the question here and the purpose of of asking the question is to, to bring out the fact that they can't. They won't. If a person is to call upon Christ in faith to cry out for salvation, he must first believe. He must first have faith. He must believe that Jesus Christ is the one who can answer that call, who can provide the needed salvation. They have to believe that that he is the one who is in a position to offer, to promise and to deliver on the promise to save someone. And of course, that's the focus of, well, that's the focus of the Bible, isn't it? The presentation of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as the Savior of mankind. 
Him and Him alone. There is no other way to God than through believing in Him. Paul said to Timothy that there's one God and there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. John wrote in the most well-known verse of the Bible, that God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In order to call upon Christ, to savingly call upon Christ, one must believe in Christ, must trust in Christ, must believe that he is who he said he was. God himself, the Savior, the Messiah. We must believe that he is who the Bible presents him to be. The divine, eternal, sinless, incarnate, only begotten Son of God, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, crucified for our sins, that he really died, that he was really buried, that on the third day he really rose bodily from the dead according to the Scriptures, that he ascended into heaven, that he was given all authority in heaven and on earth, who even now intercedes for his people as their mediator and who will come again to judge the living and the dead. That is the Jesus Christ that is presented in Scripture and that is the Jesus Christ that must be believed. There are others who have their own versions of Jesus Christ who don't fit that description. That Jesus, whoever they may think he is, is not the Jesus of the Scripture and he is not able to save. The second question, also in verse 14, is then, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Again, it's a question with only one answer. How can they believe in him of whom they have never heard? They can't. If they've not heard of him, they can't believe in him. If they don't believe in him, they cannot call upon him. This question is going to become important in the later verses. But in order to believe, one must first hear about Christ. Which brings us to the third question. Still in verse 14, he asks, And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Or without a preacher, some versions say. If this message about Christ is so indispensable, so indispensable to calling upon Christ, how shall we expect anyone to hear and then to believe and then to call on him until they first hear the message, unless someone present the message? And the primary means of the word of the Lord being disseminated during Paul's day, during our day, was by preaching. Especially in Paul's day, it was by preaching. He doesn't mention here anything about reading. There's several reasons for that. First of all, it was the the truth of the time that not everyone could read. Not a lot of people could read. Even if they could read, copies of the Old Testament scriptures were not as plentiful as we enjoy today. And so this points to the necessity of someone proclaiming, someone preaching, someone announcing the teaching of the Bible concerning Christ. And consider this, that this verse, Paul writing here in Romans chapter 10, what he has written, this is being recorded all during the time when the New Testament was being written. So it was not available to 
the average person. Most of it wasn't available at all yet. It was still being written. Some of the churches to whom these letters had been sent, some of the people to whom these letters had been sent may have them, but by and large the, the, the whole of the New Testament certainly was not available for individuals or indeed to most churches. And even then, there was also the situation that there were many false teachers in Paul's day, just as there are in our day. Many false teachers who had gone out and were deceiving people with all sorts of false doctrines. And so Paul concludes these questions with this, this fourth question. This is in verse 15. He says then, how are they to preach unless they are sent? And the idea of being sent speaks of someone who is dispatched by someone to someone for a specific purpose. And preachers were sent. They're sent by actually two specific people, two different uh, senders, we might say. The first and the foremost, of course, is they are sent by God. Preachers, true preachers of the true word, are called by the Spirit of God to the sacred task of proclaiming God's word in the model of the Old Testament prophets. And in Paul's day that, uh, today in the model of the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles, not in that office, that office does not exist anymore. That office has passed from the scene. But they're sent by God, the calling of God, the equipping of God, the gifting of God to preach the gospel. And secondly, they're sent by the church. They're sent by, by the church who has some some, had some means of assuring the faith of the preacher and their, their understanding of the Scriptures, their ability to proclaim its message. In fact, we see that in the book of Acts, just one example here is the, the sending of Paul and Barnabas. Saul and Barnabas, as they were known at the time. Back in chapter 13 of Acts, this is now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the, Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So there is God sending them, God calling them. And then it says in verse 3, Then after fasting and praying, they, the church, laid their hands on them and sent them off. So Saul and Barnabas go out to preach the gospel, being sent by God and being sent by the church. And they are sent to, to... or this is given to emphasize the importance of the proclamation of God's word. That's what needs to be preached. Which preached then can be heard. Which heard may be believed. And which being believed will lead someone to call upon Christ and be saved. It's to emphasize the importance, and to emphasize the importance of that, Paul adds a quotation, as he so often does. We've seen that, a quotation here from Isaiah 52, verse 7. It's there in verse 15. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. That's what Isaiah said. Now, in the original context, that was a statement concerning those who brought 
the good news of the end of the exile of God's people, the victory of God over his enemies. The full verse says this, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. A beautiful promise in its own light as Isaiah gave it, but even more, it is a very clear prophetic anticipation of gospel preaching concerning the work of Christ, the the ultimate rescue of God's people. And so Paul brings that in to emphasize that. So Paul lays out these steps. Sent preachers, we'll work back the other way. Sent preachers proclaim the message. There are those who hear the message. Many will hear that message, Jews and Gentiles. Some will respond to that message in faith. And as a result, they will call upon the name of the Lord. And as a result of that, verse 13 says, they will be saved. And if we read a little more closely, we know that God, today certainly, but during the time when Paul wrote, God sent men to proclaim the message of the gospel. God fulfilled uh, that aspect of this. In the Old Testament, remember the prophets at the threat uh, and often at the loss of their own lives, proclaimed the word of God to the people, powerfully proclaiming, thus says the Lord, in warnings and in proclamations of coming judgment, as well as with words of peace and of grace and of God's goodness being poured out on the people. Moses did that. Later, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel did that. The ones that we call the the minor prophets, who remember were in no way other than length of their books any more minor than the major prophets. But they proclaimed all of that. You come to the New Testament. Of course, foremost there, proclaiming that word was the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who came as the incarnate word made flesh who in fulfillment of prophecy proclaimed the year of the Lord's favor. Again, Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus Christ read that and said, This day these words are fulfilled in your hearing. And then after him, and sent by him, the apostles. Peter and James and John, Matthew, Mark and Paul especially. Others during Paul's time sent to proclaim the good news to Jew and Gentile alike. Preachers sent by the apostles. Stephen and Silas and Barnabas and Timothy and Titus, Apollos. And certainly many, many others. So God's word has had its preachers. God has sent preachers. The church has sent preachers. And that continues on through today. And the message preached has also had its hearers. It has been heard. Even by the Jews it has been heard. There were, in the Old Testament, in Paul's day, and in our day, those of the Jewish Uh, People, those of the Israelites who heard and who did believe. So we know that the word concerning Christ was heard by them. 
And it was believed by some of them. It was certainly heard by others, many more, who did not believe. In verse 18, Paul makes this point in very clear terms. Now, the Gentiles are likely included here, but the focus is again on the Jews. That will be made explicit in the next verse. But verse 18 says, But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. He asked the question, you know, have they not heard? Thinking back to the larger issue of, this, of the rejection of the gospel by the Jews, did they not hear? Is that the problem that they didn't hear? Perhaps that's it. Perhaps that's what went wrong. You know, that they haven't heard. Maybe that's why they haven't believed, since one must believe in order to be saved. Have they not heard, he asks, but then he answers, yeah, they have. Indeed, they have. Of course they've heard, he says. Then he gives an interesting quote. Look at it there. He says, their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Does that sound familiar? Like something Jim just read a few moments ago? That's what makes the quote interesting is because it's a quote from the first half of Psalm 19. Psalm 19, verse 4, actually. You're familiar with the psalm, and again, you just heard it. It begins like this. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims its, his handiwork. It's the psalm that speaks, as Jim just read it, as, or it speaks of God's general revelation, his revelation through nature in the first half, and then it speaks of his special revelation through the scriptures. And this quote that Paul gives here is from the portion speaking of the revelation of God in nature. So that's what makes it interesting, because it's, it's not speaking directly about the gospel, because general revelation doesn't show us the gospel, it shows us God, and that we should worship God. But Paul takes that from there, uses the words of that song to make the point that just as all people are exposed to God's self-revelation in nature because their voice has gone out into all the earth, so has the preaching of the gospel gone out in wide distribution to all the people of the earth. The point is that the Jews cannot say, we've never heard, because Paul says, indeed, they have heard. Well, then maybe the problem is that they just didn't understand. That's not part of the list that he started out with here. But Paul apparently concludes that, that that may be in the minds of some of his readers, and so he addresses it. And he addresses it by saying, no, that's not it either. It's not quite so obvious in verse 18, but the verses that Paul's going to quote in the rest of verse 19 and in verses 20 and 21 show that understanding wasn't their issue either. They understood it. There's a different problem. But it's not hearing and it's not understanding. Then what was the problem? There were preachers sent, the Jews heard it, the Jews understood it. Why then are they not all saved? Well, that brings us to our third point, which is the rejection. We've seen the requirements and we've seen the supply. Now we see the rejection. The problem 
the, the breakdown is in regard to the next link in the chain as Paul presented it in verse 14. The problem was that they did not believe. Or as Paul puts it in verse 16, they have not all obeyed the gospel. To obey the gospel, which also occurs in 2 Thessalonians 1.8 and 1 Peter 4.17, to obey the gospel means to believe the gospel. That's how you obey the gospel, by believing it. To trust in the Christ that the gospel puts forward. That's the obedience that's called for. That's the obedience of the gospel. It's not a, some new work. It's not some new deed. It means to believe. And Paul says that the Jews have not all done that. Especially not all of Israel has done that. Neither have the Gentiles all done that. Not all the Gentiles who have heard believed. But remember, Paul's emphasis here is is on Israel. Now, of course, we don't need to spend too much time on, on proving that because Paul's been proving it all along in these last chapters, hasn't he? Paul's great sorrow and unceasing anguish from chapter 9, verse 1, was because of this. His heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved from the beginning of chapter 10. The Jews didn't succeed in their pursuit of the law that would lead to righteousness because they didn't pursue it by faith. They didn't believe in chapter 9, verse 32. They stumbled over the stumbling stone which is also the foundation stone, Jesus Christ himself in chapter 9, verse 32 as well. And seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness from chapter 10. And again, Paul brings in an Old Testament quotation as proof. In verse 16, this is a quote from Isaiah again, and this is from, if you're familiar with Isaiah, there, there are several, four of these servant songs speaking uh, prophetically of the servant of the Lord, the servant of Yahweh, who is Jesus Christ himself. And this is a quotation from the last of those servant songs, the final one, in the beginning of the monumental 53rd chapter of Isaiah. Isaiah begins it by saying, Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? The answer is, the Jews haven't. By and large, they haven't. In general, they haven't. And in his answer to the question about whether Israel understood what was preached to them, uh, he gives to us then another couple of quotes, one from Moses and one from Isaiah again, that shows the tragic rejection of the gospel by the Jews as well as the consequences of it. Look down in verse 19. He says, But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me, but of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. In the first quote, the quote from Moses, that comes from Deuteronomy 32.21, there we have sort of the prediction that this is going to happen. God says to them, they made me jealous by what is no God, and they angered me with their worthless idols, 
And then he says, therefore, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. That's a reference to God now going to give the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. Something that that God says here will make you jealous and it will make you angry. Let me read from Acts chapter 13 again. This is a little later in verse 44. Listen to this. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And we read that the Jews then incited the devout women even of high standing to stir up persecution in the city. So there we see that when the gospel was preached in this case that there was both jealousy and anger, just what Isaiah predi- or what Moses predicted. Isaiah gives us the fulfillment of those words. Uh, the quotation from Isaiah here. This is in the next to last chapter of Isaiah in chapter 65, a chapter that speaks so powerfully of the various topics that we've been looking at here the rejection of the Jews by God, uh, who has been rejected by the Jews, and the spread of the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul quotes Isaiah here in our verses in chapter 10 of Romans in verses 20 and 21 that we just read. He says, those who do not seek me, those who do not ask for me, those are the ones that I have held my hands out to all day long, a reference uh, to, the, to the Gentiles or rather that they received it. Verse 20 says, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. A reference to the Gentiles. Remember we saw that earlier in our chapters here we've been looking at. That the Gentiles were brought in. The Gentiles found what the Jews did not find. They attained by faith what the Jews did not attain by works. The righteousness of God credited to them as theirs. But of the Jews, as he goes on, he says, I held my hands out to them all day long. A picture of God offering them grace and forgiveness through the gospel, offering Christ, who is the only means of forgiveness. And he held out that offer to them, Paul says, all day long. God said, all day long. But by their refusal to believe, they showed themselves to be what God says they are down in verse 21 a disobedient and contrary people. Again, not all of them, but most of them. God, remember, as promised, as Paul has talked about, as he has taught, as we've looked at, God has preserved an Israel within Israel. He's preserved that remnant of his people whom he has and whom he will continue to bring to himself through the stone which the builders rejected Jesus Christ. And so that is Paul's message. That is Paul's message here this morning. (coughs) 
there have been those who have preached. And they've heard it. But they haven't believed it. They've rejected it. And so it's gone to the Gentiles who have believed it. Now what are the, you know, this is very sort of tied up with the, the question of the Jews and what happened to the Jews and why they have not believed this. But what lessons can we draw from this this morning? Let me give you four. Four lessons that I think we should pay attention to, that the church should pay attention to today. The first is the importance of preaching. The importance of preaching. In those opening questions of Paul, we can see just how critical preaching is then and now. The chain of events goes all the way back to the calling of preachers to preach, to proclaim Christ. Without the message of Christ being announced, no one will hear, no one will believe, no one will call upon the Lord. And so preaching is, is so important in the church. It is, it is not a church if there is no preaching. And in many churches today, there is no noticeable, recognizable preaching going on. All sorts of other things. All sorts of, of flashy things. All, all sorts of other things, but no preaching. Or maybe five minutes or ten minutes of preaching. My belief, and it's not just because it's what I do, but I believe because of what we see in these verses that there is no more important calling than preaching the gospel. Because it is what God uses for the saving of men's souls. Because it is through preaching that they hear about Christ, which is the only way for people to be saved. But it's not just preaching that's important. Or, or perhaps I can put it this way. The preaching that is so important, the preaching that Paul is speaking about here, is a particular kind of preaching. I'm not talking about a certain methodology of preaching, but it's the message. It is what is preached. It's the content that is critical. And that's the second thing. The first is the importance of, of preaching. The second is the importance of preaching Christ. You know, there's a lot of places where there's no preaching today, but there is also a lot, there are a lot of places today where there is a lot of preaching that is not preaching Christ. And therefore, it is a lot of preaching that is not worth the time that it takes to prepare the sermon, that I suspect is not very much. Notice what Paul says in verse 17 there. He says that faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. It's not hearing a word that produces faith, but it is hearing a particular word. The word of Christ. The word from Christ. The word about Christ. That's what's missing so much today is the pre not preaching, well preaching too, but the preaching of Christ is missing. If preachers in churches today spend as much time in their Bibles as they prepare their sermons as they do in the newspaper or their psychology manuals or social media or television or political writings, then the people who listen to them, the church, 
and families and communities and the nation and the world would be much better off. Much better off because they would be brought into contact with the only means of redemption, the only means of forgiveness, the only means of hope, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, you know, as swell a guy as I am, you don't need to learn more about me or my life, my childhood, or my philosophy, my interests, my take on politics. You need, I need, we all need to learn more from God's Word, of God's grace, of God's holiness, of God's spirit, of God's purpose, and most of all, of God's Son. It is Christ who saves, and Him alone. And He saves through His Word, through the Gospel. Paul said back in chapter 16 of, verse, of chapter 1, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. That's the message that preaching needs to convey if it is to be real preaching, if it is to be necessary preaching, if it is to be effective preaching. But Paul's statement here, even in verse 16 of chapter 1, doesn't stop with the announcement of the gospel. It doesn't say the gospel is the power of God for salvation period, does it? It says it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. That's the third thing, is the importance of believing. The importance of believing. Because it doesn't matter what you hear, just like with the Jews. It doesn't matter what you understand. It doesn't matter what your church believes. It doesn't matter what your parents believe or what your grandparents believe. It doesn't matter what you profess to believe. It doesn't matter what songs you sing. It doesn't matter when you say amen in the sermon. It doesn't matter how good of notes you take during the sermon. It matters what you believe and who you believe. The Jews heard. The Jews understood, but they did not obey the gospel. That is to say, they did not believe. And so the message has to be preached. We'll let it go with, with those three. The message has to be preached. The message that is preached has to be proclaimed, or it has to be the proclamation of Jesus Christ. And that message that Christ has to be believed by you if you are to be saved. But if you believe in him, if you call on him, if you have faith in Jesus as he is presented to you in the scripture, you can be sure that if you seek him, you will find him. He is ready and willing to be found. He will not cast out anyone who comes to him. He will not refuse anyone who comes to him, who comes to him in faith. But whoever comes to him, he will receive and as Paul said back in verse 13, and we'll close with this, to leave this in your hearts and on your minds, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray. Father, what an amazing truth 
What an amazing passage that you have sent the preachers that you say are essential, that you have given to us a message that leads to salvation, the one message that leads to salvation, because it is the message that proclaims your Son, Jesus Christ, as the way of salvation, as salvation itself, O God. We pray, Lord, that you would, uh, first of all, that you would help us here in this place to always be faithful to your word, to always proclaim Christ. Let nothing, O Lord, ever overshadow that. Lord, if we ever get to a place where, where that is overshadowed by anything else, Lord, shut it down. But we pray, Father, rather that you would use this place as a lighthouse where the gospel goes forth, where Christ is proclaimed, where he is proclaimed as the one and only hope of mankind, the one and only Savior of men. And we pray that that salvation received by faith alone would be the message from this church. We pray, Lord, that it would be the message from churches throughout this world, that the gospel would go forward, that Christ would be uplifted, that he would be proclaimed as the one and only way of salvation. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for the salvation that we have through him. We thank you for the faith that you give to us to rely on him, to trust in him, to believe him. And we thank you for the truth that whoever calls on him will be saved. We pray, Father, that you would let that be in our minds and our hearts as we go our way this morning. In Christ's name, amen.